Well, get your Bibles out and turn to John chapter 16. I, I, I don't know what to do with this. Oh, there's something I have to clarify here. Somebody said uh, last week, does anybody know what your sermon series means? I said, I don't think anybody even knows the name of sermon series. Uh, I don't think a lot of people pay attention to that. But just for the record, the final countdown is not a reference to the content of these sermons. It is a reference to I'm on my final countdown. So to the end of December and then I'm done. So you get, I just empty out the kitchen sink and throw it at you. Everything I think is important, I'm going to throw at you the next seven months. All right. All right. So here's my problem with this sermon. We're doing a little mini series within the series. And uh, we've been talking about different topics um, last week in the Sunday Holy Spirit. Next week, we'll start talking about uh, the province of God. And, and the, there's, there's more sermons on the Holy Spirit in me than two. And uh, God's kind of been taking me on a journey since uh, I got out of the hospital with COVID. And um, I might say something more about that. Um, later on the year, I might not. It's, uh, it's kind of a big deal that God's doing in my life. So I'd really love to take you down in the weeds today, but I can't. And uh, there's some things I want to say about the Holy Spirit that weren't really uh, in this text and the sermon that I had planned uh, for today. So you're going to get two sermons. And I'm going to camouflage it by making it look like it's two points in a single sermon. Okay? You all right with that? All right. So John chapter 16 is going to be our first text. Francis Chan in his book, Forgotten God. How many of you have read that? Forgotten God. It's on the Holy Spirit. And by the way, we, we have a summer elective that started this morning. Right now it's taking place beneath us in Fellowship Hall North on Forgotten God. It's going to run through the end of July. encourage you maybe to think about next week going to that first service and then coming here for worship second service. In that book, Francis Chan <clears throat> makes this comment. I'm willing to bet there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say that they have experienced the Holy Spirit's presence or action in their lives over the past year. And many of them do not believe they can. Now I'm going to re um, restate that in the first person. So I want you to ask yourself that. I'm willing to bet there are millions of churchgoers across America, like me, who cannot confidently say, I have experienced the Holy Spirit's presence or action in my life over the past year. And I don't believe I can. Another question, this is from J.D. Greer's book that I recommended last week, Jesus Continued. Is Christianity more of a set of beliefs to which you adhere and a lifestyle to which you conform, or is it a dynamic relationship in which you walk with the Spirit and move in His power? Again, is Christianity more of a set of beliefs? In other words, I, I believe we have a doctrinal statement of 10 points when you have 12 secondary positions. I, I believe these things to be true. Is it more of a set of beliefs to which you adhere, a lifestyle to which you conform, or is it a dynamic relationship in which you walk with the Spirit and move in His power? 
Come, uh, another question. This is from me. Can most everything in your life be explained by your own abilities, your own foresight, your own intelligence, your own education, your own wealth, your own resources, your own support network, your experience, or are there frequently things that happen in your life about which you can only shrug and say, God? Can most everything in your life be explained by what you have? Or must some of it be explained by God? Let me pray for us. Father, we're going to sing a little bit later about how great you are. And we're going to contemplate the mountains and the universe. We're going to contemplate the grandeur of your transcendence. That is, that you, you are so far beyond us and above us, you're out there. And yet we read in a place like Ephesians 2.4 that your love is also great. That your mercy is great. In other words, the thing, things that not only set you apart from us, but the things that you manifest to us with us are great and glorious. And it brings us to our knees. I suspect that there are some of us, perhaps even many of us, who say as we contemplate whether or not our life is marked by God, not simply by the fact that we attend a church or that we listen to Christian music or that we serve in the nursery, but Sunday to Sunday, in between those 168 hours, we don't, if we're honest, we don't see the finger of God very much. And God, I read the New Testament and I don't see that to be your desire. I, I don't see that to be your plan for us. Something that you want either yourself or us to settle for. And when Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit coming when he went away, he spoke about it as a gift. And when the apostles spoke about the, the, the Holy Spirit coming when people would come and confess Christ, he, they spoke about it as a, as a gift. And I wonder how many of us have received the gift and he still resides within us, the bow intact, the paper, untorn. And if that's so, Lord, may today be the beginning at least of a hunger and a thirst to live a supernatural life instead of a natural life, to live an extraordinary life instead of an ordinary life, full of an intimacy with you and the Holy Spirit, full of a life walked with him instead of simply knowing about him. In Jesus' name, amen.
John chapter 16. So sermon one or point one in the sermon, whichever you prefer, is it is possible to walk with the Spirit. Every Christian I know would say, I have the Holy Spirit. But how many of us would say, I walk with him? Which is what the Bible exhorts us to. I walk with him. Jesus, shortly before he went to the cross, John 16, verse 5, but now I am going, he's talking to his disciples, I'm going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. In other words, they're distraught that he's leaving. They're not really concerned about why he's leaving or where he's going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best, and you should underline that in your Bible, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate or the comforter or the, the counselor, however your translation renders it, in other words, the Holy Spirit, if I don't, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And now verse 12, there's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will, speak on his, he will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring glory by telling you whatever, bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. And this is a reminder that the Holy Spirit doesn't come to seek his own glory and to make much of himself. He comes to point our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. Spurgeon talked about it this way. He said the Holy Spirit is the shy one of the Trinity. Now, that little phrase, best for you, I think is instructive. J.D. Greer's book, uh, Jesus Continued, is totally built on this line. Jesus continued, as in the Holy Spirit comes and Christ lives us in us in the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 2.20. It's best for you that I go and he come. Now, <laughs> If that is true, and Jesus is and was God, so certainly has to be true since he knows all things, then it must be especially urgent for us to find out why the Spirit has come and what he does and can do in our lives. It's best for you. Not just that I stand beside you here on the Sea of Galilee shore or in Jerusalem in the temple, it's best for you that I go so that the Spirit can come. And when he comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. Now, what kinds of things include, are included in all truth? Does that mean he's going to teach us about microbiology? Or that the Holy Spirit fills us in and details about Persian history? Or that he's going to clear up our political tensions? I think there are probably three things that are included in this. And I would say for many, many years, I was preoccupied with doctrinal truth. You know, the things that we say in our statement of faith, this is what we believe about Jesus. This is what we believe about God the Father. This is what we believe about the Holy Spirit. This is what we believe about the church and about the Bible and about uh, the ordinances and the things to come. 
doctrinal truth. He will guide us in all truth. When we read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, illuminates our minds so that we can understand the things that we don't naturally understand. And so certainly it would include that. The truths that we believe, the Holy Spirit reveals to us, the Holy Spirit uh, conveys to us. The things that we agree with God about who he is and about who we are. The truth, the truths that we believe. But it goes beyond that. The Holy Spirit's going to also reveal, convey to us the truths that we obey. In other words, you follow God's commands. You do this, go into all the world, preach the gospel, care for the poor, don't commit adultery, all of this. The truths that we obey, following God's commands. But I think it goes further than that. There are the truths that we follow. In other words, there are some things that the Holy Spirit nudges us to do that don't have chapter and verse to it. And maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't nudge anybody else to do that, but he's pushing us to do that. The truths that we follow, they're less than certain. We might not know 100% that this is what God is pushing us toward. I've shared before, I don't think I've ever known more than 80% that God wants me to do this or not wants, doesn't want me to do this. And it's important as we get into our second sermon as we find out it's far more important to move out in what we think we know than be paralyzed by what we don't know. The truths that we follow that are shared with us by the Holy Spirit Big decisions, like what kind of career to have or who to marry or if we marry, the steps that we take with our businesses, church choice, where we're going to go, where we're going to participate, what kind of ministry does God want us to have, these big things, where to go to school, what to study. I don't think that we, I'm not convinced that that's the biggest area of that God wants us to be uh, concerned about in our lives. So I'm, I'm thinking that there are smaller decisions that we make every day of the week. How many decisions did you make this week? If you would have to tally them up. In your job, in your business, in school, in home, with your families. How many, well, hundreds if not thousands of decisions were made. How many of us asked God what we are to do in those small decisions. How, for, for how many of us did it even occur that, to us that God might be interested in those decisions? Or that his choice might be different than our choice would instinctively be. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Every time I have read this verse over the years... I have gone, hmm, wonder what that means, and then moved on. I think it says in the NIV, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In the New Living Translation, verse 25 says, since we are living by the Spirit, and this follows the fruit of the Spirit conversation, if we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. The Keith Rohr version would be, since the Spirit gives us life, let him also give us direction. Let's say you have 
a problem employee in your business. Which approach do you take when you sit down with him or her? Firm manager? All right, we can't have what you're doing on the job. It's got to change or else. Or concerned ally. John, tell me what's going on in your life because you are not the same guy I hired six months ago, and it shows in your work. When your daughter comes home with a, a piece of paper from school and it talks about girls' soccer starting up and she wants to um, play soccer, she's eight. How do you make that decision? Solely by whether or not she wants to play and whether or not you can get her to the practices? What about when your wife yells at you? Not that yours ever would. But what shapes your response to that? And does it occur to you that God might have something to say about all those things and maybe a lot more of the decisions, small ones that you make? Would it be possible for us to have a moment-by-moment intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit so, so that, or to such a degree, that we find God is speaking into our lives way more than we ever considered he might be able to do. Brothers and sisters, this is a life that is within reach of all of us. Do you believe that? You're allowed to talk in here. This is a life that is within reach for every last one of us who know Jesus Christ. And maybe you go to your employee and you know exactly the approach you have, you're supposed to take. Because before you ever went to them, you prayed. The decision that you make about your eight-year-old daughter's decision regarding soccer, not just pragmatic, but you and your wife, you and your husband prayed about it. And before you responded to your wife in kind, you said, God, help me to respond in a way that Jesus would. And it's different. Ephesians 5, 18 just a couple pages over from Galatians. Ephesians 5.18 says this. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. That's pretty blunt. If you have a problem with alcohol, God says that's, that's a train wreck coming down the other side of the tunnel. Don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. But then he connects it to the next sentence with the word instead. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the things that some Christians are unaware of is that you can have the Spirit and not be filled with the Spirit. You you can be born again through the power of Jesus Christ, having put your faith in him, and you have the Holy Spirit, but you're not filled with him. You're down a court or two courts. 
And it may be because you're walking in sin or it may simply be you are living your life the way you want to live your life. It might not be sinful. You haven't really checked with God about what he wants for your life. You haven't checked about how to handle this employee. You haven't checked about your relationship with your spouse and the interactions that are blow-ups. just haven't prayed about. And I wonder if you're interested in a supernatural life, if you're interested in extraordinary life, a, a life where you trade in more and more of the life that, that you now live for a life where more and more can only be explained because of the invasion of God in your life. And I'll be the first to admit from personal experience, this is an utterly frightening, scary path to venture out on. Because you ask yourself, what might God make me do? About what in my life might God start pulling the reins on it or simply say, I'm taking this from you. This journey God has me on has not been helped by my reading Hudson Taylor's um, story. It's called uh, The Spiritual Secret of Hudson Taylor, the founder of China Inland Mission back in the 1860s. To say yes to God cost him the lives of two children his first wife, the ability to spend years with his children. He's in China. They're in England. People spreading stories about him back in London, and he can't clarify them. There's no email to sort it all out. It takes mail four months to get from China back to, back to England, and you know you can only explain so much in a letter. It's scary to say, I want to live a life that is supernatural because the price will probably be high. All right, I have three takeaway points from this first sermon. If you are interested in a life like this, I have three suggestions for you. One, don't just dive in and say, I want this life. So I'm going to pray more. For the next week, assess what your life really is like. Maybe you jot down on your smartphone twice a day, lunchtime, evening. Maybe you keep a little journal. How much or how little you seek God's face in a day. I'm not talking about your worship, daily worship time in the morning. I'm talking about this ongoing, what do you do with the 24 hours in your life? How much or how little do I seek God's face in a day? Just journal it. Say, Man, I didn't think about God at all this. I didn't, I didn't call out to him for help at all this morning or at all today or the last three days. Assess. Second, pray. If God really answers prayer, then the place for us to start for something that we long for to be different is to pray about it. Father, if it's really possible for me to walk moment by moment with a spirit who lives in me, I want that. Just pray that prayer. 
Maybe pray it each day this week. See what happens. And then thirdly, experiment. Begin praying about the most mundane things in your day. And you're going to forget many times that we're still in the flesh. Don't beat yourself up about that. But just see each day a little bit more. I pray about more things instead of simply deal with those things. Some days you're going to feel like you're talking to yourself. You see no, no evidence of God's hand. But on other days you're going to say, whoa. Because you see this supernatural life of walking with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, is not the soil of the 15 minutes of praying at the start of the day or the five minutes or the 10 minutes. But it's by these small, short prayers in response to how life is unfolding in front of you, in front of me. And the more of the Spirit's response that we experience, the more we're going to say, I'm never going back to the natural life. I'm never going back. Betty and I were in Lowe's on, I think it was Tuesday, trying to find something, some adhesive product. We had spent an hour in Home Depot looking for it, hadn't found it. We had three Home Depot people help, help us. Still didn't find it. Uh, we, we tried to look online to see if that would help us find it. We finally gave up, said we're going to Lowe's because we had found that Lowe's has it. So we went to Lowe's. After going up and down about 12 aisles, and we weren't going to go the route of asking the Lowe's workers at that point. I said, all right, I'm going to download the Lowe's app. Maybe that'll get us there. So I'm starting to download the app. I didn't realize that's going to take me 45 minutes. So Betty goes down one aisle. I go down another aisle. And we switch off going down aisles. And I'm, I'm about two-thirds down the aisle when it dawned on me, I never even thought to ask God for help. Now, I usually pray with my eyes open, uh, except in the mornings. Uh, but this time, for whatever reason, I close my eyes, just a few seconds, ask God for help, open my eyes. I kid you not. I had been looking left. M my head went right. I glanced down. In a matter of a second and a half after I finished that prayer, there it was. Now, that doesn't happen to me much. You know, car keys take a day to find or whatever. But here's what it did for me. It reminded me that God is interested in my moment-to-moment life. And he has placed his Holy Spirit within me with all of his power, all of his insight to help me to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. All right, I've got a few minutes. So Acts chapter 16, that's the end of the first sermon. All right, second sermon, Acts chapter 16. So the Apostle Paul is on a missionary trip. And beginning of verse 6, next Paul and Silas traveled, and this is really the, this is going to be the whole sermon up until a couple days ago. Traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at the time. And then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia, but again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. And so instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. 
a man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Now, the title of the message was, Which Advisor? We talked last week about which bicycle, right? Kind of weird. I had a number of people tell me they were just sure I was going to wreck that bike on the stage when I rode across. Like, where's your faith? <laughs> which advisor, as in when we make decisions, when we make plans, whose counsel do we mainly seek? And look at this incredibly intriguing little vignette in Paul's life. And a couple of things come to my mind. One, walking with the Spirit might cause a change of plans. Back to the fear issue. When I walk in the Spirit, I'm ready, willing, and able to put everything I want to do on a shelf and say, God, I'll either do that or do what you want. If it turns out that's not what you want. Walking with the Spirit might cause a change of plans. So we got this human action. Paul's on a missionary journey, and he's, here's what he does. He, as a missionary, he leads people to Jesus Christ. He disciples them, and then he plants churches, and then he moves on. And then later he comes back after a couple of years and kind of encourages them again. It's been a model for, that many mission works have used for 2,000 years. And so he goes for him. I don't know why he decided that he was going to try the province of Asia and then he was going to try the province of Bithynia. You have to wonder, did he not pray about it? Well, I'm sure Paul prayed about it. I mean, he's a praying guy. Read his letters. Didn't he pray enough? Did he have a vision that he misinterpreted? Did he have a personal agenda? He heard that the, the markets in Bithynia had, they, they sold wonderful scarves and he's going to buy a bunch and take them back to his friends in Rome. I, I don't know why he went someplace, places that were clearly not God's plan. And, and we, so we have this human action. He, he stepped out with what he thought was the Spirit's plan, and it wasn't. The Spirit stops him twice. <laughs> I'm going to go here. Uh, no, you're not. Well, then how about if I go here? No. Human action, responses, holy interference, and we're never told why God had a different plan. And then there's this human reaction. In verses 9 and 10, he sees this vision. And he surrenders to this vision, and they decide to go to Greece. Now, it's interesting. In your Bibles, it says that these men, Paul and Silas, and apparently by this time, Luke, who's the writer of Acts, has joined them because he says we, verse 10. It says that they, having concluded that this was God's plan. So apparently there was some kind of discussion because concluded means to come to agreement to knit together. That's what that word in the Greek New Testament means. There was apparently some discussion. It wasn't a slam dunk, apparently. They, they didn't know, oh, this means we're to go to Greece. They have a talk. They conclude this probably means we're to go to Greece. I, I, I think that's a wonderful 
helpful reminder that we might not always know clearly what we're supposed to do and that good believing friends can help bring clarity. I wrestled with this the last number of months in trying to decide whether or not to take the the part-time position here at Keystone starting next year uh, as pastor of mission because I I told the guys, I, I just don't have a clear sense of what God wants. But the final two weeks before I gave Pastor Brandon my answer, uh, week before last, I met with a bunch of friends, pastor friends, Professor LBC, uh, some mission reps that I was talking with about working for them, and it became clearer and clearer and clearer. This is what you should do. Not because God wrote it in the sky, but because God spoke through the lives of believing friends. And then Paul, they stepped, they stepped out, trusting that the Spirit's plan was superior, even though they didn't know why. It's interesting, as we look back now, it becomes more and more clear. F.F. Bruce, one of the greatest New Testament scholars of the last century, said, the supernatural admonition of God, the supernatural admonition did not spoil Paul's strategy, but improved it. Because if you look where he was going to go versus where he went, he went across the top of what's today Turkey. He crossed over the Aegean Sea and landed in Greece, Macedonia, in the northern part of Greece. And that was where the first planting of the gospel was in all of Europe. And then he moved on down through Greece, uh, first con- convert there, Lydia, by the riverside, um, down through Greece into Thessalonica, Berea, on down to Athens, and then from Athens, he went across the Aegean Sea back to Turkey to Ephesus, where he stayed almost three years. And Ephesus was a hub for all of these places that he had reached with the gospel. And so he could send people to and from these places uh, across the Aegean Sea or north landward over to Galatia and so forth. And, and so the strategy became more and more clear to people as they looked back, but it wasn't clear to Paul at the time. And sometimes when you listen to the Holy Spirit, you're going to do something that doesn't make any sense to you. But God who sees the whole plan, for him, it makes great sense. This is a reminder to me that God's will isn't always just to do good things. He was going to share the gospel in these other places in Bithynia, in in the province of Asia. That's a good thing to do. He's going to plant churches there. That's a great thing to do. It's not always that God wants us to just do good things, but to, to do the right good things. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 20, I've determined always to go and plant churches and always preach the gospel in places that don't have Christians yet. It's not enough just to lead people to Jesus Christ. There are plans that God has for us who to lead to Christ and where to plant the flag of the cross and how we're to carry it out. Wrap up. Oh, I'm not too bad on time. Some thoughts from this text. If you're unsure about the Spirit's plan in your life, don't let uncertainty paralyze you into doing nothing. Paul didn't have it right. He moved out anyway with the confidence that his sovereign God can redirect him and change plans if need be. He's that big. Maybe I'll say this here too. The Spirit's plan is sometimes a dot. It's pen point. But the Spirit's plans at other times are as wide as the stage. In other words, they're... Sometimes people are terrified, I'm going to marry the wrong person, those kinds of things. Like if, if he loves Jesus, if she loves Jesus and, and doesn't yell at you much, 
It might be a win. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's plan is as, can be as broad and give you room to operate as this stage, but it always has Bible edges. You know what I mean by that? If he's a really nice guy, but he doesn't know Jesus, that's a Bible edge. Don't marry him. Bring you to ruin. So sometimes the Spirit's plans a dot, sometimes it's wide open space. Second, be suspicious when somebody says the Spirit did this because. In most cases, you can't get behind the Spirit and know the motivation. You read this text, you never find out. Never tells you. I wonder if Paul had a clue. Maybe, but maybe not. Be suspicious when someone tells you the Spirit did this because I, f- I find that very often Christians want to explain tragedies that come in their lives. Don't go there. It's nothing but raw guesswork. And there's a good chance you're going to be wrong and in the wrongness convey something to somebody else that they really shouldn't hear. And lastly, the Spirit's plan is always, always, always the best one. Why? Because he knows the mind of God and he knows what God desires and he also loves you infinitely. And wherever he takes you, no matter what hardships you're going to encounter, he has sent you there for God and his glory and for you and your good. And these will be the things that we'll be talking about the next three weeks. Father, we love you. We are very grateful for the Holy Spirit that lives within us who know Christ. And for those who might be listening or watching who don't know Christ, draw them to the Savior. We know Jesus said that nobody really wants him unless he's drawn to him supernaturally drawn so we pray that you would supernaturally draw people to Jesus it's, this might be the day of their salvation when they say I'm, I'm going to turn from sin and I'm going to turn to Jesus for my hope and for those of us who have the Holy Spirit within us oh God in greater and greater measure these weeks these months in the next 25 years may we walk with the Spirit not reproducing some set of principles but more and more deeply diving into our love relationship with you as you have dived into it with us and we increasingly see the finger of your spirit's work in our lives as we call out to you again and again in prayer in Jesus name Amen